All right. I think we're ready. Are you ready? Yes. All right. So we're going we're gonna to introduce a, 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 a short series as we close the year. And uh, the series that we're, that we're talking about for the next few weeks is virtues. Somebody say virtues. 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 What is a virtue? Well, here's a few definitions, and we know that these are right because I derived them from the interwebs. That's right. Quality research. A virtue is a beneficial quality or a power of a thing. And I like that it said a power of a thing. Another definition of virtue is a capacity or a potency. Now, I, I bring up those two definitions first because it's tempting to think of virtue as something fragile or delicate, and that is not the idea. A virtue is something that is power. It has, the, it has capacity. It has power. It is a, it's a powerful thing. As a matter of fact, in the, uh, in the 1984 version of the, in, the New International Bible, they've been through a few versions, but in the, in the first version of the NIV, the, in the Gospel of Luke, when they chose to translate the passages that talked about power coming out from Jesus and healing them all, you might find the, the word that they, that they chose was virtue. And virtue was coming out of him. They understood that it was a good, that virtue is powerful, but virtue is good and has the capacity to produce good. And so, but the definition that we're going to land on for the next few weeks is this, that uh, a virtue is a particular moral excellence. Would you all say moral excellence? Fantastic. Virtue is moral excellence. So virtues then are principles or practices of moral excellence. They have, virtues are good and they have the power to produce good. Does anybody, is anybody, let's take a quick vote. It's, what is this? Is almost December. It's almost time for our annual membership meeting. We can get warmed up. Is anybody in favor of, 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 of society, of our, of our culture, our society being good? Yes. The eyes have it. Yes. Anybody, anybody in favor of a good society? Yes. Anybody in favor of a good culture? Yes. What about a good community? You know what makes up good communities, good, good societies? You know what makes up good culture? Good people. People. If, you, if we want to improve, if we want to change, if we want to, if we want to make good our culture, we need to say, Lord, make us good. It's good people that make good families and good churches and good communities and good societies. Or we're talking about virtues. I believe a, you're such a wonderful group of people. And I felt, I felt pressed to, to impress upon us this call to moral excellence. Yeah. So there's a few, a few virtues that we're going to go over. There are more than the, those that we'll cover. But we're going to cover four of them in these, in these weeks. And the four that we'll em- emphasize are gratitude, now, it's interesting. Saturday night, I said gratitude, and everybody, saw, and there was a few very excited people. But I understand if I say gratitude, and you're like, oh, man, that's so last Thursday. <laughs> man, I've not only been there, done that, I bought the chips, the taters, the gravy, the yams. I've, we're done with, we are so done with that. Well, how many of you know we're never done with it? We're going to talk about gratitude today, and then there's some more virtues we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about gratitude, generosity. Patience, 
much better than Saturday night. People are like, I'll pass, hard pass, patience. Um, and then finally, we're going to talk about courage. None of these things are new. These are familiar ideas. But our goal is to lean into them according to what the Scripture tells us so that we can pursue them, so that we can practice them for their virtue, for their moral excellence, so that we might live morally excellent lives. All right, sounds like we've got an agreement there. So let's begin. Let's talk about gratitude. Very good. Now, we've defined gratitude. We defined it a couple of weeks ago. Uh, we've defined gratitude. Let's clickety-clack there, Sister Faith. Uh, we've said that... Uh, no, not, 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 not. There we go. Just one clack. Not clickety and clack, just clickety. There we go. Okay. We've defined, <laughs> joy, we've defined gratitude as the joyful acknowledgement of good received and the goodwill behind it. It is when we joyfully acknowledge good that has come to us and we consider the goodwill behind it and we acknowledge that in a joyful way. That's gratitude. Everybody with us? We've also said that gratitude is, uh, we've acknowledged that gratitude is really good manners. It's always good manners to be grateful, but we want to make sure that we don't leave gratitude in the arena of obligation. When we leave something in the arena of obligation, it's no, there's no longer, it's no longer in the realm of faith. We also recognize that gratitude is very good for us. Okay? Gratitude, studies have been shown, and we won't go over it all, but studies have shown that gratitude leads to better health. Gratitude leads to less stress. <laughs> gratitude leads to sleep, to better sleep. Stronger immune systems. Ring-a-ding, right? And to, it, gratitude has been shown to leave people genuinely more happy. And that has been proven because they've asked people's spouses. <laughs> gratitude leaves us generally more positive and optimistic. But is gratitude morally excellent? Is it and does it make us? morally excellent well let's consider the scripture let's go to first of all this might be something that you didn't expect but let's go to romans chapter one i won't read the entirety of this in fact there's some parts i gotta skim over just because we've got a bit of a mixed audience and the new living is just out there very blunt it's very blunt you should read it but i want to be kind to everybody in the room so Romans chapter 1, Paul begins, and, he, and it's a typical epistolary literature. He begins with a greeting and a blessing and all the kinds of things. And then he goes into uh, the, the body of a letter, the teaching about doctrine and, and ethics and whatnot. And so he begins, first of all, with doctrinal statements. And, he, and uh, he's talking about the gospel, the power of the gospel to save. But then in verse 18, he shifts. And this is a longer passage, but I need us to listen to it because it's the, we, we want to start out right. Verse 18 says, but God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Good morning. They know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky. And through everything God has made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and his divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Yes, they knew God. But, they, verse 21, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give thanks to him. 
They knew God, but they refused to. Let's try to. They refused to give things. They knew God, but they refused to. And they began to think of foolish ideas about what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused, claiming to be wise. They became utter fools. Instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols, made it look like people and birds and animals and reptiles. So God abandoned them to do whatever, their, whatever shameful things their hearts desired. Then he talks about some of those shameful things. We'll take a look at it and then pick it up at verse 28. So since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things that should never be done. Their lives became, listen to this, friends, their lives became full of every kind of wickedness. Sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, gossip. (laughs) What? They are backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, boastful. They invent new ways of sinning. Wait for it. And they disobey their parents. They refuse to understand. They break their promises. They're heartless, have no mercy. They know God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die, yet they do them anyway. Worse yet, they encourage others to do them too. Whoa, that's what's called the downward cycle of sin. Paul has engaged in this long treatise on the downward cycle of sin. And he's describing just this morally bankrupt scenario. But where does this morally bankrupt scenario begin? It begins with people who know God but refuse to give thanks. The moral decline begins when we refuse to give thanks to God. Without gratitude, we become morally bankrupt. Where there is no gratitude, there is sinful attitude. But to correct that, to avoid all that, we, therefore, we need to start at the beginning. Start at the beginning. That's why so Psalm 100, I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart psalm 95 i will come before the lord with thanksgiving gratitude to god acknowledges that he is god and that he is good a life of gratitude toward god orients my life it makes a god oriented life i orient my life to to know him to love him to live pleasingly to him so gratitude is the gateway to a morally excellent life. Oh, there's more. Psalm 107. Are you ready? Psalm 107. Uh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. And? Thank you, Faith. It's right there. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good and his faithful love endures forever. This is the most constant refrain of the Old Testament. It is the song that they sang before before in the temple. They sang it before worship. They sang it before war. When Jehoshaphat's marching out there to the enemy, they sang, Give thanks to the Lord for he is good and his faithful love endures forever. This is the song of the saints. Why? Because what it does is, I give thanks to the Lord for he is good and his faithful love endures forever. It lifts my countenance. It lifts my eyes. My eyes are lifted up and off of the circumstances and the nonsense and the cesspool around me. When I give thanks to God, it fixes my gaze my attention, my awareness on the person and the character of God. 
There is no greater influence, no more, no more excellent influence upon my life than to fix my gaze through gratitude on this truth. God is good. His faithful love endures forever. Even if the mountains fall into the sea, even if the, the, even if the storms around me are raging, I can rise above it, I can live above it, and I can live above the nonsense and the wickedness and the strife and the harshness of this world by lifting my eyes. I can live a more excellent life by fixing my gaze on the goodness of God. A life lived fixed on the goodness of God is the antidote to pessimism. It is the antidote to despair, to depression, to antagonism, and to hostility. People with their eyes fixed on the goodness of God don't run other people over in the road. G.K. Jesterson said that the highest form of thought is thanks. Gratitude is the highest and wisest and strongest way of thinking. Gratitude creates a bent toward hope, a bent toward optimism. Gratitude toward God, when we live with gratitude toward God, it it creates, we start looking for and anticipating the goodness of God in life. We, We change the confirmation bias in our minds. People live with a confirmation bias. That is, what we believe to be true, we, we, see, we, we look around and we say, I see, I knew it. Yeah. <laughs> knew it. And the most, most folks that do that are pessimists. Right. And they comfort themselves because they prove themselves right. right. Well, I knew it. When the world, world's going to hell in a handbasket, you see the price of gas? Basket, right to hell. <laughs> I told you. Told you. Bad, bad, getting bad. Doesn't help, it, doesn't, it doesn't help when our eschatology adores, uh, you know, is in love with the idea of, of, of destruction as soon as possible. Because everybody's waiting for the first bus out of here. But when, I, when a, life that is given, a life lived giving thanks to God changes my confirmation bias. And I begin to see the goodness of God. I begin to anticipate that I will see the goodness of God in the land of the living. I will see the goodness of God. I will look for the goodness of God. I will celebrate the goodness of God. I will, I will walk in the confidence of the goodness of God. I will walk around not like a, not like a, a deer with my, you know, caught in the headlights, but with, but with, with eyes that are fixated, caught up by the goodness of God. There's a gaze that the world needs to see. It is not the cynic. It is not the critic who have long-term influence. But the people that have the most influence are those with the most hope. Gratitude produces moral excellence. There's more. Let's go to a couple more passages. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 4. Here's a good one. Now, Faithy, don't clickety-clack until I'm done with the whole thing, and then we'll show it. Okay? Clickety-clack is the Greek for PowerPoint. (laughs) If you have several advanced degrees before you know things. (laughs) <laughs> oh, 
Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Paul is so great for giving us no margins. Let there be a little margin of that. Yeah, but like like a wedge, you know, like like a, like 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 the cranberry salad. I just want a little. No, let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. He continues: obscene stories, foolish talk, and coarse jokes. These are not for you. No, for you. <laughs> What is for you? Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. I like the word instead. Everybody say instead. instead. It means there's a, you, got, you get A or B. A or B. It's been a hot minute. I was thinking that. A or B. When I was a, when I was a young lad driving my dad's Nova at Kleinline, when Kleinline still had a gravel parking lot, and me and my buddy ran the snack shack there. And uh, hallelujah. <laughs> He, curly fries. Um, he got there before me one day, and he liked that I drove when I drove my dad's car because I always, I always burned out. I was, you know, popped the clutch and spun everything. Don't tell my dad. Um, I think he knows. Um, so I went into that parking lot there, and I saw him there, and he went like this at me, and I said, "Woohoo!" And I popped the clutch and burnt and spun that thing around and spun dust and gravel everywhere, and we were like the Dukes of Hazard. And as the dust began to settle, Roscoe Pico Train was there. The dust began to settle, and a guy came out of the house, and all I heard him say was, A or B? That's all he said. A or B? And I was like, what? And he said, A, like you get arrested right now, or B, you leave and never come back. I needed him to give me a different option. You see, I was the snack shack manager. And I needed to <laughs> oversee the snacks at the lake. And so he says, A or B? And I said, oh, yeah, but... And he said, A or B? And I kept trying to give him another option. He did not give me options. This is that word instead. A or B? On one side, you can have sexual immorality... Impurity, greed, obscene stories, foolish talk, coarse jokes. Or you can have gratitude toward God. One of them will preclude and displace the other. I cannot live with, I cannot, I cannot practice gratitude toward God and, with, and, and practice profane and harsh speech. I cannot practice gratitude toward God and, and, and pursue an impure, immoral life. Virtue displaces vice. Gratitude is moral excellence. And it produces let me give you one more. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 3. Paul writing to the church at Philippi and in the New Living, he says this, Every time I think of you, I sigh heavily. 
Every time I think of you, I murmur. Every time I think of you, I tell the person next to me how long I've been mad at you. Now, here's what he says. Every time I think of you, I give thanks to God. I give thanks to my God for you. What if we did that? What if every time we thought of a person in our lives, we paused to give thanks for them? That would modify the metaphor. Back in the day, when in, uh, oh my goodness, like the, the second or third time we came out of retirement to do youth pastoring. <laughs> um, uh, back in the day, we were, Lori and I were the youth pastoring, and, and we, we were doing workshops, and we did this workshop called, that's right, Triangle, and we did this workshop called uh, Help, I Have a Teenager. <laughs> it was well attended. I still have the notes if you're interested. I got you, girlfriend. Okay. <clears throat> And one of the things we talked about in that workshop was one of the, one of the, one of the studies was that <clears throat> we typically have a metaphor attached to other people, that we, that, that, and that becomes the filter by which we, we relate to them. We assign a metaphor to people, knowingly or not, you, do, you have one, you know, like, oh, that's my problem child, that's my sassy one, that's my wild child, oh, that's my loose cannon. The author talked about the fact, like, like substitute teachers coming to a, coming to a, uh, a, a high school biology class, and and the and his his metaphor for the class is a tribe of hyenas, and and while that's humorous, that but that literally becomes like a metaphor, and so that that affects his defense mechanisms. It affects all, it affects the connectedness. It affects the strength of a relationship. But it, what if you replace those metaphors? The thing that will govern the metaphors that we attach to people in our lives is gratitude. Gratitude will govern those things. It will change those things. Gratitude will change the way you think and feel about people. You cannot be resentful towards someone and give thanks to God for them. You You cannot harbor bitterness towards someone while giving thanks to God for them. Not only does it displace the negative stuff, it sweetens everything else. When you, when I want to challenge us, don't let somebody out of your mind without stopping to say, I thank God for them. I thank God. I thank God for Michael James. I'm not going to let Michael James McCollum pass through my frontal lobe without saying, stop. Let me thank God for that guy right now. What if we, what if we didn't let people pass through our thoughts, our hearts, our minds without giving thanks to them? What effect would this have on our connectedness with each other? What effect would that have on our conduct toward each other? Would it make us more excellent toward one another? That was not rhetorical. Would it make us more excellent toward one another? Gratitude really does, it is good and it produces good in every way. Gratitude is morally excellent and it produces a morally excellent life. I want you to imagine with me what impact this would have or could have. What if the virtue of gratitude made us morally excellent people? 
What if sinful attitudes and profane speech were totally displaced, replaced by gratitude? What if cynicism and criticism and negativity just couldn't find a place to land because gratitude had taken up all the acreage? What if our relationships were sweetened and strengthened by gratitude? What if people gossiped about how much they were grateful for people? And then spread that gossip around. What if you all got, what if we all got a reputation for being grateful people? Listen, you don't want to go to that church. I mean, they're super grateful. You're going to end up being more joyful, sleeping better, being less stressful. You're going to end up sweetening and strengthening the relationships. Listen, you go to that church, they're going to be, you're going to be more thankful. You're going to be a lot less profane, a lot less angry, a lot less cynical, a lot more optimistic. Come on, shout. <laughs> what kind of influence would that be? Yeah. What kind of witness could we be by simply giving more place to the yeah. virtue of gratitude? So How do we do it? I don't want to leave you hanging there. How do we do that? Well, number one, it's always the same answer. It's always the answer. How are we going to do that? The answer is always be filled with the Holy Spirit. Whatever God has called us to, he makes, it, he makes us able by giving us his spirit. Yeah. Yes. I want it more than that. Whatever God has called you to, he makes, it, makes us able by giving us his spirit. The Holy Spirit is the fountainhead of all life and worship and ethics and morality. True virtue comes from the Holy Spirit, not from dressed up, best efforted humanism. True virtue is not going to come as a result of us just trying harder. True virtue comes as we allow and we receive the infilling of the Holy Spirit to transform us. This is why Paul says, don't be drunk with wine that will ruin your life, but instead be being filled with the Spirit, beginning at uh, 518 of Ephesians. Be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and songs from the Lord. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. This is what's the Spirit. This is the effect of the infilling of the Spirit. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit releases a geyser of gratitude in our lives how do we walk how do we practice live grateful lives number one be filled with the spirit and secondly do it by faith somebody say by faith how many know that you don't always feel it but you can always believe it you may not always feel it, but we can always believe it. We, we do what we believe to be true. And we believe that God is good. And His loving kindness endures forever. So we choose to give thanks. How do we do it? Here's some more steps. Just in case you're struggling. You can practice gratitude in your prayer life. As you're praying. As people cross your mind, stop. Pray. Just give thanks to God. Don't hesitate to send somebody a message. Don't hesitate to text them. 
you could say, hey, Dav, I like to talk to people face-to-face. That's wonderful. That's hard to do if they're in Georgia and you're in Washington. If they're close to you, get it. But if they're not, as soon as they come across your mind and you pray for them, send them a message. Tell them that you're thankful to God for them and tell them why. Be specific. It's powerful. Don't be afraid to write a note. I'm not sure if you know what that means. You use a pen. I was raised with a note-writing mama. Grandma Glow, you can't read what she wrote, but you know it's nice. (laughs) And ultimately, prayer and praise to God. A life of gratitude is first and foremost a life of prayer and praise. Can we stand together and say these words? Give thanks to God. Would you say it with me? Give thanks to the Lord. Come on, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, and His loving kindness endures forever. Let's try it again. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, and His loving kindness endures forever. Can we just offer the Lord an offering of gratitude right now across this house? Come on, offer Him up. We thank the Lord. Yeah! His love endures forever. For he is good, he is above all things, his love endures forever. Sing praise, praise. with a mighty hand, with a mighty hand, and his outstretched arms, his love endures forever. Life has been, has been reborn. Somebody find your kids. They're looking for you. Have a fantastic day. Thanks so much.